friends, welcome to the bonus episode of We're Going There. The reason why I decided to include some bonuses is, well, who doesn't love a free bonus? And in full disclosure and candor, I didn't want to do this episode. My podcast manager, a beautiful woman by the name of Madi, said, hey, B, I think people might need to know a little bit about you if they're going to listen to your podcast. So this is me. There's a song in the Hugh Jackman movie, The Greatest Showman, that I have seen will make even the stodgiest and dodgiest old man stand in applause and kind of like feel themselves. The melody is beautiful and the arrangement is brilliant, but what makes this song magic is the lyrics. I'm going to read a few of the lyrics over you right now. Hide away, they say, because we don't want your broken parts. I've learned to be ashamed of all my scars. Run away, they say, no one will love you as you are. When the sharpest words want to cut me down, I'm going to send a flood, going to drown him out. I am brave. I am bruised. I am whom I'm meant to be. This is me. And I think this episode, as short or as long as however it takes, is my space to let you know this is me. I think the reason why we love that song is because we want to be as confident as one of the circus performers who, even with the oddities and extremities, were at home in their own skin. I think this is always something that I've struggled with. I love being honest and I love being real and raw about my journey. And I think people can look at me and say like, oh, wow, she's so loud and obnoxious. And that is very true. But don't confuse volume with security. Yes, I am confident in who God has made me, but I definitely struggle with my physical appearance and how I look. But I think that's like most of us. We all have different aspects of our life. In fact, I think we're kind of like brilliant cut diamonds. And if you're familiar with the brilliant cut diamond, it's multifaceted and it has so many aspects reflecting different angles and lights. And I feel like that is a reflection of us. So in the words of Rihanna, shine bright like a diamond. Okay, maybe she doesn't sound like that, but whatever, man, we all can have fun. In this here little episode, I'm going to share some things that I haven't really spoken about before because like the circus performer, I want to be brave, even though I'm bruised. I'm whom I'm meant to be. This is me. So let's start off with some basics and get those out of the way. I am a first generation American and hail from a Puerto Rican mom and a Mexican dad. So that definitely means I can roll my R's. I am married to Matt Oltoff. And yes, with a last name like Oltoff, he is of German descent. And I have two stepkids that are a quarter Korean. So between tamales, kimchi, and bratwurst, our table is always full with diverse food. I mean, can I get a glory hallelujah? Yes. Um, my husband and I started a church in Orange County, California, and it feels like we birthed a newborn baby. I mean, she's almost two years old, but we still think that she's a baby. I mean, we love her. I'm allegorizing our church as a baby because it keeps us up at night. We think it's the most gorgeous thing in the world. And not only is it expensive, it cries a lot and needs lots of attention. Therefore, we call our church our very own baby. I am a Bible teacher, an author, and a speaker who loves to make the Bible relevant, applicable, and just overall fun. As I like to say, the Bible isn't boring, boo-boo, you are. And I think that's maybe where we need to start this journey of this is me. Because the question I am most often asked is, how did I start doing what I'm doing now? And how did you know that this is what you wanted to do. In short, I didn't. I never set out to write or teach or preach, design, pastor, or do a podcast. In fact, I knew exactly what I wanted to do at the age of 25. I discovered in graduate school that I was going to open up a contemporary art gallery, sell modern art, live in a loft in downtown LA, drive a convertible, be married to an architect with one green eye and one blue eye, 
and be rich enough to buy a house in the Larchmont area and vacation in Europe uh, every year. Yes, y'all, I had my whole life planned out. But all of that changed when I got suckered into going to a youth camp. And when I say suckered, I really do mean suckered. I was volunteering at my dad's church in East Los Angeles, California, and I happened to overhear the new youth pastor who was leading a camp of teenagers from the inner city of Los Angeles to Lake Havasu. And every leader that was supposed to go for legitimate reasons couldn't go. He had not one female leader. And so I had said, hey, if you need help, let me know. Now, let me just be forthcoming and let you know that I didn't really mean that. I said that because I felt like it was the Christian thing to do, but I didn't want to go. I mean, I always kind of felt like teenagers smelled like pickles and urine. So the idea of spending an entire week camping with them sounded like anathema. But as the pastor's daughter, I was like, I should be nice. And look at where it got me. Sitting in the front seat of a 15-passenger van driving all the way up to Northern California to Lake Havasu, cooking large amounts of lasagna and eating copious amounts of chips and Diet Coke because that's what you do in youth ministry. And I remember that that entire trip was kind of the cornerstone of what I believe that God was calling me to, but I didn't know it then. The youth pastor at the time had said, hey, we're going to separate the guys and the girls and there's going to be a girls Bible study. There's going to be a guys Bible study and you're going to teach the Bible study. And I remember like thinking, there's no way I'm going to teach this Bible study. I've never taught a Bible study in my life. How can I do this? And he looks at me with all sincerity and he said, your dad's a pastor. You'll be fine. So I taught my first Bible study at a Psalm 54. I'll never forget. Gathered in a large room of this retreat center in Lake Havasu, there was girls gathered around sitting Indian style with their Bibles spread open and notebooks and highlighters. Yes, I forced them to bring notebooks. I've always been a nerd. And we taught. I taught actually for the first time and it was terrifying and scary. But one thing that I realized is that I saw something light up in the eyes of the young teens that were in the room. They were actually interested, like they cared about what I had to say. And they not only did they care, they were asking questions and engaged. And they were asking such probing, amazing theological questions that I couldn't help but not just fall in love with them, but fall in love with the concept of learning about God more and more. After that trip, I made such great relationships with these teenage girls. I felt literally invested with what razors they should use to shave their legs and the most drama that they were experiencing with guys in high school. And I just felt like I couldn't leave them. So I started volunteering midweek on Wednesday nights in the youth room. Me and the gaggle of girls that I was able to teach and love became really, really good friends. And it was then that I realized I'm so passionately in love with God's people. I'm passionately in love with God. And I'm passionately in love with preaching God's word. I see the tangible effects of God's word in the lives of people that I can't, I just can't help but fall in love with God more. Upon coming back, I realized, hey, there's a whole lot that I don't know about this God that I serve. And so I just started reading. I started reading books on the Trinity. I started reading books on divinity. I started reading theology books and preaching books and teaching books. And I was just hungry. I was so voraciously hungry for the word of God and to know God more that I just began to study. And the more that I studied, the more that I wanted to share what God was doing in my own heart and mind. So I continued to meet with my girls and I got involved with the women's ministry at church. I started teaching, I started preaching and then I don't know, I really can't explain it. It was like one person heard about it, invited me to this other place and this other place. And I knew that God was doing something. I knew that he was birthing something inside of me. I just didn't know what it was. And during that time, like I said, I was in grad school and upon coming back from 
that summer camp, I thought that maybe I should quit grad school, but I was there on full ride academic scholarship. So basically I was getting paid to go to school and be smart. So I was like, eh, I'll stay. Even though I knew that my heart was shifting when I was sitting in my grad school lectures and I had my ear pods in and I remember sneaking in watching my dad at midweek Bible study teach the word of God instead of listening to my professors who were inside my seminars in grad school. And it was then that I realized, I don't know if this is what God has for me. I think he's really calling me to just love and serve his people. So I started serving at the church more and more, and I found such a newness of life and an excitement to do it. Did I get paid to do it? No, I did it because I loved it. And I felt like I was discovering me, my voice, and what God has called me to. It was during this time where I started freelance editing and my twin sister, Jasmine, she works with entrepreneurs and small business owners, and she was really encouraging people to leverage their voice and develop their voice online. So she encouraged me to write a blog. Now, if you're sitting here thinking like a blog, (laughs) that was so 2000. Yes, I know it was. And guess what? I played. So what people don't know, I'm so embarrassed with this. Okay. So I, I didn't think I was going to talk about this here, but whatever, we're here now. Um, I had this private blog. So I was single like a Pringle, ready to mingle, but no one dated me. Y'all, like I couldn't get a date to save my life. And so, um, well, actually, stop it. Reverse it, flip it. Let me correct it. I got asked out by people as if I wore a sign on my forehead that said, if you're weird, ask me out. Like I... I would tell my friends, like, I can't make this stuff up. Like the people who asked me out, like are the most odd people ever. So I started this private blog and my private blog was an anonymous blog talking about my adventures in dating. And y'all, if I do say so myself, it was hilarious. Not only was it hilarious, it was freaking hilarious. Like I talked about dating blunders and literally going to the bathroom, leaving my cell phone on the table, finding a payphone to call my own cell phone so that when I got back to the table, I made him an excuse as why I had to leave a date. Y'all, there's another date where this guy picked me up in his mom's car with his mom's credit card and took me to his mom's favorite restaurant. When we were at the restaurant, he called his mom and asked her what he should order. Hand to heaven, I can't make this up. So keep in mind, the blog father was fabulous. It was gaining traction and every single girl in America, well, in my mind, became my friend and was with me on this dating journey. And all of that fell to pieces the moment that a youth leader in the youth group I worked in discovered my secret blog and shared it with all the other youth group leaders. Y'all, I was mortified. I literally got into my car and I sobbed and in a panic, I deleted the entire thing. It was like Hiroshima of all my words and I regret it. Yes, I was embarrassed, but in my stupidity, I could have just pulled the blog down instead of deleted it and I lost all the amazing content. In fact, I think the greatest tragedy is that if that blog still existed, I could take that content and write an amazing dating book on what not to do, but neither here nor there, it's gone. After that, I said, I don't want anyone to take my voice or write my story for me, so I'm gonna write my own. So I started a blog and it was about Jesus and life and Spanx and Bible teaching and all the things that I just wanted it to be. And it was my space and I loved it. It was a place where I got to meet people from all around the world and it began to grow and things began to be shared online. I was invited to write for a couple places and it began to grow. And I think the true fruit of that was when talking about salvation and the love of God There was this guy in Germany who I never met, 
who emailed me and said, because of how I spoke about God, he wanted God to be his personal Lord and Savior. That is crazy. So literally, I knew that God could leverage everything, even blogs for his glory. So around this time, I had met and married my husband and I was just kind of discovering like what God had for me. And it was shortly thereafter, I met this woman by the name of Christine Kane. Side note, she is episode one of this podcast. So get to know her there. I share a little bit more of the story in the introduction, but it was at dinner with Christine that we had this conversation and she said, what do you want to do with your life? She's from Australia. So that's my Aussie accent. What do you want to do with your life? And I said, I want to tell people about Jesus. I want to tell people about how much God loves them. And she said, are you doing that writing your blog? This is a problem with Americans. They're building platforms unto themselves. And I realized for the first time ever, probably that maybe this was a really good idea, but was this a God idea? And up until this point, it was just a place to have fun. But then that fun became serious because people were coming every day and people were reading and people were expecting me to produce content that don't get me wrong, was good, but was it God's best for me? Uh, Shortly thereafter, I joined Christine in working for A21 and Propel Women. I began to take the words of the survivors from A21, a global anti-human trafficking organization with offices all across the globe, and I began to share their stories. I began to share things on social media, in newsletters. I began to blog for the organization. I would advocate for our survivors on stages around the nation and the world. Things changed. God had taken something good and God had made it great. And I realized more than ever that it wasn't about me, that if God was giving me words, he was entrusting me to use those words for his glory and for the good of his people. And I hated, I hated, I still hate the weight and the reality of, even though I really thought I was doing good and I was, God used it. But when it was about what I was doing and what I was writing, I'm just not too sure it was God's best. It was God's idea. And every time I submitted my dreams, aspirations, and desires to the hand of God, he took what I did and he made it so beautifully different and so much more powerful. So after several years of working with A21 and Propel Women, almost seven years had passed and I'll never forget me meeting for the first time ever, the first survivor of human trafficking I had ever met. I'd been working for A21 at this point for about two years, but my job was stateside in California. And most of our work at the time was in Europe, in Australia and South Africa. But uh, long story short, in a story I'll probably tell in another podcast, the first survivor of human trafficking I met was in a prison in Thessaloniki, Greece. I'll never forget the sights and the sounds and the aroma in the air and the tear in the eyes of the inmates. Something was seated in my heart there for prison work. So I'll never forget that moment. I'll never forget her name. And I'll never forget what God whispered to me. There is something so beautiful about freedom. And yes, I got to do that working with slaves from labor trafficking to sex trafficking to domestic servitude. And it was beautiful. But I knew a few years later that God was beckoning me to prisons. And I couldn't explain it. I had no connection. I had no insight. Like, how was this going to start? I had no clue, but I just knew I had to go to prisons. So I prayed and I processed and I spoke to the A21 founder and CEO, Christine, my boss. And I, I shared with her what I believe that God was doing. And so we prayed about it. I knew that my season 
was up. And it was hard because it, it was it was safe and it was good, but God was beginning to do a new work in me. And it was a good place to be, but God was calling me to a God level. And I knew I had to step out and it was so beautifully hard, but also so right. I knew that God was calling me out. I had no connections. I had no insight. I had no idea what I was supposed to be doing, but it was shortly after I had published my first book, Play With Fire, that I realized that God was going to use this book in places that I would have no clue would be used. Well, it turns out my assistant at the time had forwarded me an email that sat dormant in my inbox for months. Like this warden of this prison in Texas had emailed me months before, but for some reason we never got it. And this was me on the heels of God. I think you're calling me to prison, but I have no way and insight. And like, what are we doing? And lo and behold, in our inbox, there's a warden in Lubbock, Texas that invited me to come in and preach to the women. And that was the beginning of our In the Name of Love prison initiative. Uh, Since then, there have been three books and two curriculums and many prisons visited. I don't know what God is doing. And I think when I look back at the course of my life, even with the prison initiative, God will take what is good and call you into greatness if it's a God plan. So when my husband told me about two years ago, hey B, I think that the Lord wants us to start a church. I was like, uh, what's this us business? Maybe the Lord has called you to start a church, but I'm totally fine not being a pastor's wife and a church planter. And lo and behold, here we are friends. The Father's House, Orange County, is almost two years old, and we love her. She's beautiful, and like I said, it feels like we birthed a newborn baby. And God has taken all the good things that I was doing and always leveled up to some great things that he is calling us to. So even if it might look funny or not make sense or you feel like you don't have the resources, let me tell you something. It could be youth camp. It could be anti-human trafficking. It could be saying yes to marriage and two stepkids. It could be planning a church. But at the end of the day, God will take even the bruised, broken pieces of our lives and put it as part of our story. So as we kick off this podcast, I wanted to give you a little bit of my background and how things got started to where we are now. And this is what I for sure have to tell you. This podcast is a place and a space where I could totally be free to be me. But I can't go one more minute without thanking these amazing people who have made this podcast possible. Madi, thank you for driving us to get our work done and making this dream an actual reality. Chelsea, thank you for reminding me that my voice can be used for other things. Vanessa, thank you for organizing my life and my inbox. Meg, you are amazing at design and creation and making things pretty. And a special shout out goes to Charlie for being the lone male in this group. Your podcast powers and prowess are beyond us and there's an extra crown in heaven for you. To close this out, thank you, Hugh Jackman. Not just for me, but for all of us listening, when the sharpest words want to cut me down, I'm going to send a flood. I'm going to drown him out. I am brave. I am bruised. I am who I am meant to be. This is me. Look out, because here I come. And I'm marching on to the beat I drum. I'm not scared to be seen. I make no apologies. This is me. Welcome to We're Going There, friends. I cannot wait to meet you. And I cannot wait to do this journey with you.